So we'll just jump right in. Um, first of all, thanks for, for your time and, and being a part of this book with us. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So Neil, in your opinion, what impact has the internet and specifically social media had on the role uh, or opportunity for individuals to be influential? Well, um, you know, the internet and social media has democratized the flow of information, the publication of information, and the influence of information. What I mean by this is if you were an agent, a broker 20, 30 years ago, to get the word out about your business, the, you know, the, the channels were so few and far between, and they were costly. Now, anyone for free can set up a social media profile and become a publisher and contribute to the internet and potentially have their information be seen and their advice be followed. So it's made it much, much easier for individuals and for businesses to become influential because more and more people, instead of the time we used to spend reading the newspaper and watching the news on TV, we're now in social media, we're doing searches on the internet. And therefore we all have an equal opportunity to influence people. And I love to share, uh, and I have a new new case study to share. I love to share the story of on Twitter, tweeting out that I had friends that were evacuating from Fukushima, you know, back in the, uh, the, the tsunami that hit Japan a few years ago. And the next morning I had a direct message from a BBC reporter who wanted to interview uh, that family. In fact, more recently, uh, we were just talking, we had these brush fires. Uh, the latest brush fire in Orange County was called the Bonfire. And there was a reporter on Twitter. I was following the hashtag and a reporter on Twitter was saying, you know, I'd, you know, I'd love to interview people that are, that are there, uh, you know, experiencing the fire. So I tweeted out, I sent a photo of, of the smoke and, and, you know, shared my experience over Twitter. And then a few hours later, I got a message from a reporter from the Associated Press. Uh, and this just happened last week. And this is just example. This is this is not influence. This is not an area that I want to be influential in. But imagine if I was tweeting and blogging and posting information about something that I was an expert in or something that I did for my business. You can imagine how when someone is looking for an answer, they find me, they follow me. Uh, and at some point, they they follow my advice. They reach out to me for advice. They become a customer. And that's how you know, being active in social media and on the internet with, with content publication over blog, podcast, YouTube video, uh, that's how you get found and you become more influential over time for whatever you talk about. And that's the key thing. If I was to talk politics all day, I'm going to become an influencer for politics. If I'm talking, you know, about my community all day, I'll be seen as an, an expert influencer in that community. And therefore over time, people will tend to listen to me and come to me for advice. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And, you know, you mentioned there uh, sort of a, uh, a buzzword, hot topic, potentially hot potato topic, uh, which is that of politics. And, you know, someone once said that any publicity is good publicity. And I think about some of our agents, uh, not necessarily just in our network, but in the industry, uh, ranting about politics and taking a position one way or the other. And that generates uh, sometimes some pretty bad publicity for them. Um, as to the statement, any publicity is good publicity, do you agree with that statement or has the role of technology and the visibility of social media maybe changed that at all? I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that the role, I, I, you hit on a good point. I think that because of the way that social media works, 
it amplifies the good and the bad. So amplifying the good is great, but when the bad is amplified, uh, it can have extremely negative consequences for people. I, you know, even we all feel pulled into talk about politics. I think more than ever, recent events have made more and more people want to make a stand. And I believe for younger generations, especially. So I think that everybody just has to remember that that information is public and people that you may not imagine will may have the opportunity to see that information for good or bad. So the good of doing that is you attract similar minded people. It comes out of the, you know, the social dilemma movie. Um, And maybe you have even more, uh, you know, passionate fans that, that believe in the same things you believe in. But on the other hand, you know, you're sort of turning away half the country um, yeah. when you do that. So I, it's it's really tricky. It, it, generally, I would say just stay away. But I know the recent events, it's going to be harder and harder for people. I, I, I think obviously your uh, deepest opinions, you should always keep offline. You just never know when they could be used out of context. We see comments being made by politicians being taken out of context, and we don't want that to happen to, to agents. So, you know, in Facebook, there are ways of sharing things to a few people. You create a friends list and you only share it to them. That would be if you feel the need to get it off your chest that, you know, on Facebook, for instance, that would be the approach that I would take. Yeah, yeah. Good advice. Good advice. And so just playing on that uh, relative to, you know, advice and things that are important about social media and influence, you know, what are some of the two or three, you know, most important things that you think about in your work, you know, coaching uh, other companies and, you know, our industry or other industries, but, you know, just working with your clients, what are those two or three sort of bedrock uh, elements of, of social media and influence that you, you know, anchor your thinking about the topics? I'd say the most important thing is, what I hinted at at the beginning, which is you are what you tweet. So if you want to yield more influence in a certain topic, you need to talk about that topic. So this gets down to sort of the role of content um, in, in the social media experience for anyone that wants to become more influential. I think also, you know, knowing the end game, what, what are you trying to achieve with your influence? So as an agent, you're trying to achieve business in your uh, hometown or wherever it is, understanding the target market and the target audience, it's sort of marketing 101, but being able to sort of shape that content so that it is attractive to that target audience is something I think a lot of people who wanna become more influential forget about. If you wanna focus on particular communities, particular lifestyles, you should be talking about that. If you're always talking about, you know, saving money at Target, what have you, you're going to attract a certain demographic versus you were talking about, you know, the top 10 ski resorts in Vail, for instance. So it's not just having content that's focused, but really aligned with that target audience so that it helps you better reach your goals. And I'd say, you know, the, the third part, you know, the first two around content, third's really about branding, about, you know, who you are, that, that profile photo, that description of you. And making sure it's aligned with, with what you do for a living and what you want to become influential on. Because people forget, I think anybody that looks at a LinkedIn profile or an Instagram profile, we have analytics for these platforms and Twitter, and we can see how many people come to our, our profile and how many people take action. And there's a lot of people that come to people's profiles that are not following them, that are not engaging. They're the lurkers, 
the, the 70 to 90% of users. So you want to make sure for these users that your branding is set up in a way that it puts you, you know, it, it paints you in the best picture forward. So if I was to add a fourth tip and the first two were sort of similar, I'd say collaboration. You find a lot of influencers in various industries will collaborate with each other. And I think this is a really, really powerful tactic that a lot of people want to yield more influence don't think a lot about. There's a lot of credibility and social proof for your influence when you're able to show yourself engaging and collaborating with other influencers in your community or in your market or what have you. So a lot of different ways to collaborate. It could be done through content, through a Facebook Live, um, but collaborating and really um, uh, what's cross-pollinating for an agricultural term, each other's audiences is a really, really powerful way of, of, of growing your influence really standing on the shoulders of other influencers. And this is something I, I really challenge agents when we talk about sphere of influence. I think about all those people. When I talk to brands, I talk about their customers. Well, when we talk to agents, we talk about their customers as well. But there's also, you know, ecosystem partners they have and really finding those key influencers and finding ways to collaborate with them to really, you know, raise the bar uh, for everyone involved is, is, is something I'd like to see more agents, you know, um, proactively do. Yeah, I love that. And so just to explore that topic a little bit further is I feel like in a lot of ways, traditionally, marketers have attempted to segment uh, their audiences uh, on the basis of demographics, geographies, you know, whatever attributes um, are uh, distinguishable. And I'm just curious as to your opinion you know, is that the right approach? Uh, should should we be aware of those uh, attributes within the audiences and appeal to them differently? Or it kind of sounds to me like from some of your previous responses here today that you're you're more saying, look, just be your genuine self. And, and in the process of that, you're going to attract people across a number of different, uh, you know, attribute, uh, you know, groups um, and, and including uh, those that are connected to some of your key partners in your ecosystem. Yes. Yeah, so we have this concept in marketing of targeted personas. And even in social media marketing, people talk about avatars. What is the perfect avatar? The challenge is that there is no one perfect avatar. There's You, you cannot say your customers are only going to be 28 years old or 48 years old. It's obviously going to be a range of people and it's going to be dependent on so many factors. I think understanding in general that target demographic is very, very important. But once you get out there online in social media, it's not like the old days where the information flow is very limited. You're going to attract a broad range of people. And some of these people are going to engage with you more than others. Uh, for some, your message is going to resonate with them more than others. And some of them are tend are going to tend to become your customers more than others. So I think a more modern approach is really as you build this, this community of, of influence is the art of surveying them, of, of getting to know more about them. Why are they interested in you? What, what are their you know, real estate needs, what have you? And you find a lot of marketers these days talk more about trying to align your message, not with a fictional target persona, but with the actual audience that is engaging with you that respond to you that will complete a survey so that you better understand how to talk the way they talk, how to position your content with the way they consume content. 
And I think that's just a general best practice. Um, you know, you need to start somewhere with, with, with sort of these, these attributes, what have you. But I just find a lot of marketers spend way too much time going, you know, getting lost in the weeds where I want to see them out there starting to engage, seeing who comes along for the ride and getting to know those people better. Why did they come along for the ride? What are their needs? How can you best serve them? And obviously making customers out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so, you know, based on some of your earlier comments, I think it's fair to say that, you know, in the absence of content, influence is completely unobtainable. So content precedes influence. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I mean, offline influence is a whole other story. Um, there are influential CEOs that don't even show up on social media, but they still have incredible influence in the business world. So uh, that's another story. But speaking about online influence, I mean, the whole idea about social media, if we define it, is you have a user profile and you have user-generated content published on your user profile. So yes, it, it does come down. Content is the way people, uh, they get to like, know, and trust you, right? They, they find you, they see your content, get to know you. And over time with consistency, they get to trust you. So yeah, content is the currency of, of social and digital media, really. And when you think about the, the format of content, what is sort of your... Uh, you know, priority in working with your customers uh, that you, you know, the, the, the sequence of the format of the content that you'd like to see them go and tackle if they're just starting from a blank canvas and, and looking to, you know, really increase their, their uh, activity in this, in this area. Is it so, video first? Is it blogging? What, what, what is your playbook? Yeah. So this is, so I'm actually, this is my next book, uh, Chris, which I'm, I'm still in the process of conceptualizing, but that's, that's the playbook I want to create for, for my next book. And, and I, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we've always been digital first as consumers. It's taken time for businesses to play catch up those that were more digital or their digital transformation of sales and marketing was, was more accelerated. Obviously I think did better after the pandemic than those that are still trying to play catch up for a decade uh, of being behind. So when we think digital first, and when I think digital first, what are people doing online digitally? Well, they're either searching for information there in social media or they're in their inboxes slash reading texts. So if you think about it that way, it comes down to search social email. And I think the most important one of all this is you need to have a gateway. You need to have a digital gateway for your company. And the best digital gateway obviously is a website. Well, if you have a website, you want it to become discovered. And the best way to make that discovered is through content published on your website that leads to it being indexed in search engines, which leads to traffic. So I believe the beginning is the website is content in the form of blog content, because that is, you know, the, the lifetime of a social media post is very short, but you'll see blog content continue to get traffic year after year after year. In fact, if you were to do a, a search for, you know, something on Google, often the results come from content that's a year old, two years old, sometimes even five or 10 years old, actually. So with that in mind, and, and just the number of the, the volume of searches being done, um, obviously is huge. So, you know, I double down on content and I begin with the website. Now, above and beyond the website, that's where you get into, you have podcasts, which are audio, you have uh, video uh, for YouTube, and then you have the social media. So 
you know, after your website, if you want to tap into, you know, the podcast or the YouTube, I consider those only after you're pretty confident you, you have a good game plan and you're already implementing and finding really good success with your web content, because I think that's where you need to start. On the other hand, you know, going into 2021, it's very, very hard because there's so many companies trying to rank for keywords. It requires a lot of money, requires money for content, requires money for, for SEO, and you're competing against big companies. If you are a big company, great, but if you're an agent and you're an individual blogger, I almost say let, let your corporate, you know, let, let them rank for those keywords. If you want to rank for community keywords, local keywords, that's another story. I think that's the role where, uh, you know, local brokers and agents can, can, can do it. But if you want to rank for keywords on, on, on Google, it's, it, it's very, com very competitive. You need to, you need to have that content there anyway, but this is where we begin to look at YouTube and we begin to look at podcasts because there just aren't as many publishers on YouTube or on podcasts and very, very few companies. It's mainly people, meaning yeah. that the playing field is a lot more level and it's easier for you to cut through the noise and be heard and be discovered. I believe even today, even with YouTube today um, or, or a podcast than with a blog. So that's, that's really the search part, right? And then, well, after we do the search part, I often will move on to email. And the reason is you want to move people when they come to your website, what do you want them to do? You want them to contact you. Well, some people might contact you. Most people leave. How do we get a little, how do we develop a relationship with them? And the relationship is done through email, through providing them something of value, which we call a lead magnet. It could be a 10% off coupon. It could be, you know, uh, a free ebook, like, uh, you know, like you've already created. Um, and this is something that we hope to acquire an email address so that we can keep the conversation going. We can continue to have a, a weekly communication with them. So you begin to have this funnel and the way I'm, I'm showing my new book is really about this, this funnel of relationships. So you start out with nothing. You have a digital gateway. You want to be discovered by search engines. Once people come to your website, you want to bring them further down in your funnel and email is the next logical step unless they contact you, right? So once you get that in place, if you don't have that in place and you go immediately to social media, they're probably going to click on a link to go back to your website. And what are they going to find? Are they going to find the content they're looking for? Are they going to find something that's going to opt them in to, to your email list to continue that com uh, communication, which is why for me, that's the, the, the last is social. And the social, I think this, this funnel of relationships is really, really easy to see because when you start a profile uh, and nobody follows you, you're, you're, you're a single entity in uh, you know, a few billion social media users, you, you're, you're attracting the general public. It's when you start to get followers that you begin to bring people into your sphere of influence digitally. Right. And, and this is something where they have the, they have the potential to find your content every day instead of just when they do a search on Google. And then I think once we bring people into our, our followers or our engagers uh, sphere or, or ring in, in the funnel, I think this is where, and, and recently, Chris, I show a picture of a Japanese tea ceremony, the whole idea that every single unique engagement is a unique opportunity to deepen that relationship and drive people even further down. And the further down obviously is, you know, becoming part of your email list, becoming a customer, um, becoming a, a fan, becoming an advocate that's going to talk about you and, and, you know, spread word of mouth about you. And that that's really the core of influencer marketing. So I yeah. think that search, uh, email, social, they all have their roles. But I think when you look at it strategically in that way, 
you begin to see where the pieces fall in the place and the content mediums. So, you know, I think a lot of people turn, tend to gravitate towards like YouTube videos and podcasts. And, you know, I, I, I tell people to stay with the basics until you feel you're doing really well there, then branch out. But, um, but yeah, um, you know, un unfortunately, the social media, the content doesn't go that far, but the relationships can go really far. So I, I would, you know, all of this, what I'm saying, Chris, is I think that businesses and agencies need to focus more on the one-to-one -one than this traditional one-to-many. The one-to-one yeah. -one of the email relationship, the one-to-one -one of the follower relationship, and then of the advocacy relationship. And that's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck in 2021 and beyond, I believe. Yeah, I love that. That's great. What a great response. And so uh, keying in on another comment you made earlier, which is the role of collaborating and cross-pollinating with, with you know, other folks in your ecosystem. Can you just speak to how you've seen people watch other influencers and achieve this collaboration um, you know, dynamic that you spoke about and, you know, just sort of give some, some advice to the audience relative to how to, how to do that. How, how, how do I, you know, choose the influencers and I'm listening to what should I be observing, you know, and, and what are some, you know, best practices or things that you've seen work in terms of really leveraging that? So it's funny. I, I'm not a big fan of sort of kissing up to influencers to be recognized by them. But organically, I wrote, man, it was about 10 years ago, you know, best social media books. And I, you know, I, it, it, they were from like 15, 20 of my favorite authors. And then I started getting comments from some of those authors on my blog, people like Guy Kawasaki, uh, Mari Smith. Um, and I was able to develop relationships with them just for the sole uh, reason that I mentioned them in a blog post. So this is the way that you know, you, you begin to develop influence. And the whole idea about collaborating is that, you know, if, if let's take that analogy and say you were to write a blog post or you were to do a social media post and you were to tag these businesses, you know, the top five house painters in Irvine, California. And, you know, you would assume that they all have profiles on your account. So if Instagram is really big for you and maybe you're targeting a younger audience, you know, look for, uh, industries, we're talking about sphere of influence here. It could be lawyers, could be, you know, banks, whatever it is, but look for industries where people are active on Instagram. They have a greater following than you do. And, you know, create a post that says, Hey, these are my five, the five painters that I recommend all my clients, you know, are your favorites here. And I guarantee you what happens when you do this, let's say you just pick five painters that are on Instagram. Number one, they're all going to thank you. Right? So you're going to deepen your relationship with them by mentioning that. And if you don't have a relationship with them, this is going to begin that relationship because then you can go, hey, if you're ever looking to collaborate and there's a lot of different ways to collaborate, that's a whole other topic we can talk about, you know, let me know. Um, and, you know, if you have like a discount for, you know, for clients I send your way, let me know. Who knows, right? Um, so th that's one thing. But the other thing is all the other painters out there who saw this post for whatever reason, maybe because of a hashtag that weren't included on the list now want to become your best friend. 
Hey, why right. don't you include me? Hey, what can I do? Hey, you know what? Um, I'm so confident in my work that the next time you have a client that needs, you know, a room painted, I'm going to paint a room for free. That's sort of how it works. Even today, I, I write all these blog posts recommending marketing tools and I do it as a service to my community. But every day I get another company saying, hey, I noticed you mentioned all these other tools. Why didn't you mention my company's tool? Yeah. And they'll say, hey, we'll give you a free lifetime, you know, to use our tool. Um, and, 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 and that's when all these, you know, you're not trying to influence for all these little fringe benefits, but when you start publishing content about things and, and tagging people and talking about people, it's going to attract these both sides. And that's yeah. just a really, really easy way. Um, or you could say, Hey, um, this is, this is my, my network of, you know, whenever, before we, we sell a home, this is, uh, you know, these, these, this is the group of five people that I'm always in touch with. I'd like to introduce them to you. So, you know, you, you're sort of um, appreciating uh, your network, you're promoting them, um, you're looking for deeper ways to collaborate. And then all those other people are, or some of those other people are going to reach out saying, hey, next time, if, if your stager is busy, you know, I do staging as well, let me get to know you. And, that, and that's sort of how this can work in a, in a real scenario, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so we talk about, you know, the, uh, the triumvirate of no like and trust. And I'm just curious as to your opinion as to the difference between being known and being influential. I think being known is um, you, you can't yield influence until you're known. <laughs> so I think being known is sort of the first step in, in becoming, because influence, um, yes, they know you, but there's also a sense of trust. They also sense um, uh, some credibility trustworthiness, in some instances, authority, someone that they could reach out to and have a conversation with, knowing that you're on a similar wavelength, or that they can trust their business with you. So, you know, getting known everything I talked about here, it all you know, that content, the whole role of the content is to help you get known. So but if you stop at just getting known, you never yield as much influence as you might be able to potentially yield if you continue to follow this advice on, on, on the content, the branding, and, and I think most importantly, this engagement. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So being known is all about short game. Influence, uh, being influential is long game. Is that a fair description? Yeah, I mean, the known, depending on the search engine, that can last a long time as well. So yeah, I, I'd say that's a really good way of looking at it. And then, you know, Chris, just yesterday, uh, that that comment about Elvis Presley and, and vaccinations. It's also once you yield influence of making sure you maintain that influence. Um, yeah. My my son made the Development Academy soccer team a few years ago, right? When he was like eleven or twelve, the, the first year they had it. And the first thing his coach said, "Congratulations, but just know that a year from now, everyone wants your spot." Yeah. And I I think that once you yield influence, if you're not if once you if you're not using it. Um, others are going to try to steal the spotlight from you and because, you know, there's only so many people we can follow so many people right. that we can consider in our trusted network of advisors. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that would be the final concept that that's, that that's the ultimate long game, but yes, uh, be known influence and then really leveraging that influence. Yeah. And so I, I feel like, uh, a lot of times for certain sales people and maybe marketers as well, there's always this fine line between influencing and, and advising and guiding and manipulating. 
Um, in your opinion, based on your experience and observations across industries, where do you see that line between yield, uh, you know, wielding influence and manipulating? The bottom line of all this, Chris, is you're serving others. You know, it, it, there's a quote from um, a, a senior VP at Walmart that I, I used right after coronavirus and my, the pandemic started in my presentations, which is that businesses exist to serve society. So as long as you are serving society and serving your community, you are not manipulating them. You're being helpful. And, and that's when you stop serving community because you want to serve yourself. That's where I think it tends to fall more into the manipulation that you would do anything so that you can go ahead instead of allowing your community to advance. So yeah. I, I look at things, maybe it's too simple, too simplistic of a perspective, but I think that I, I, that, that to me is the guiding light. Yeah. I love that. It's kind of, you know, the golden rule or, you know, it's uh, it's about a switch of selfless or selfish. Um, and, and I think ultimately also is, you know, are you, are you advising um, on the basis of what's in the best interests of the other person, which is selfless? And are you advising on the basis of things that you do yourself? Absolutely. And, you know, I've been in some, I've been in some interesting real estate transaction myself, where I wonder if, if the agent was really trying to serve his or her community or his, or try to increase the probability that they're going to get a commission check earlier rather than later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's where, um, that's, yeah. So I'm sure you know about, you know, issues like this, but, but yeah, oh, that, yeah. That, that's where I think it's important. It's really funny because I mentioned this to Bob when, when he first reached out to me, because I actually went to real estate school, first team real estate has this little real estate school here. Uh, I never got licensed, but I went to the school to get licensed and it was three or four years ago. And they were talking about the importance of agent, the meaning of agent that you represent. You're, you're not a, you're not an entrepreneur. You're representing the buyer or the seller in the transaction. So it's a similar, that, that is the exact approach of serving others as an agent, you are serving others. Yeah. And if, as long as you stick to that and you remind yourself, it's like Steve Jobs looking in the mirror every day, reminding himself, do I, do I still enjoy doing what I'm doing? Um, you know, reminding yourself that you're, you're there to serve them. And when you serve others and make them happy, um, good things come your way. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, trust the process that that will happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, switching gears now towards uh, the, the, company perspective of influence. Can you give our audience some examples of companies that in your opinion have done a great job of influencing or being influential? Wow. Um, I mean, big consumer brands have always been influential. They're always, you know, um, in, in the center of things. I, some great ways, I think it was uh, Dunkin' Donuts recently partnered with Charlie D'Amalio, the 16 or 15 year old TikTok star uh, to create a drink uh, for her that she then promotes on TikTok and in social media. So this is a, a, a product collaboration is a really great way. This is sort of like the, the Air Jordans of the past of collaborating with influencers, which obviously helps brands like Dunkin' Donuts expose their products to this audience. Um, but it also sort of aligns them. It's also, you know, if young people don't go to Dunkin' Donuts, they prefer to go to a Starbucks, it reminds them that, hey, Dunkin' Donuts is cool. 
so-and-so it's, it's a celebrity endorsement, right? So-and-so is drinking their stuff. You should drink it as well. Um, I think of uh, ocean spray recently, another TikTok uh, case study of someone, you know, drinking the ocean spray cra uh, cranberry juice on a skateboard and ocean spray actually taking advantage of that situation, reaching out and really building a lot of good, goodwill from, uh, from engaging with, with someone that became, uh, you know, somewhat of, of an influencer online. So there's a lot of, um, brands that are smart now, now that they realize that their reach in social media declines as people become more and more influential of actually collaborating with uh, people in different ways. Um, the case study that I normally give most recently in presentations is a watch manufacturer called Rosefield. They're, they're actually a European watch company based out of Amsterdam. And they basically created a community. They, they basically created an, an army of influencers in social media. And they did this because they went into their email database. They went into their social media followers and they went into their customer database. And they did an analysis of people that had a little bit of influence in social media, people that had, we call them nano influencers, people with like a thousand followers. And it's like, hey, we can reach out to people that, that don't know us. We don't know them and try to engage them to, to, you know, collaborate with us, or we can work with people that already like, know, and trust us. And in doing so, they've established a very, very broad, you know, for people that love the brand, a very, very broad and open, inclusive brand ambassador community that offers basically exclusivity to new products when they come out before anyone else gets a shot at them and store credit points. So there's no exchange of money and they're getting, a, you know, incredible benefits and the people that are part of it, their customers, right? Uh, are, are just, you know, so happy about it. They're, you know, when brands recognize, when companies recognize people and bring them in, um, there's just amazing things that can happen. It, it, just another, you know, case study, uh, my business banks with Bank of America. So a few weeks ago, I get an email about a Bank of America advisory panel for small businesses that I've been invited to. So you think, wow, Bank of America chose me, right? It, it makes you feel happy. You feel more aligned and you, it builds a deeper relationship with the brand. Unfortunately, when I entered this advisory committee and I'm using air quotes, all they were doing was, it was just a bunch of survey questions and I got no value out of it and I immediately left. So there's a good way to do this and a bad way to do this. But really, you know, Chris, the way I like to look at it is, you know, early in my career, I had a job offer at Procter & Gamble to do product marketing for them for the bounce product in, in Japan of all places. And I, um, I, I turned down that offer, but what I realized was that these big brands in the old days, and this is before social media, it, they almost wanted this distance between themselves and the consumer, right? It's like, we are the brand, we dictate things, we create cool things, we create entertaining TV commercials, and there, there's a distance. And I think what social media has done and with each generation, you know, with, with millennial now with Gen Z is that brands are realizing the closer they get to the consumer, the better it's going to be for everybody. Um, it makes them more relatable, more authentic, and it builds a deeper relationship than this old paradigm of we want to be as far apart. People can't contact us. People can't tweet at us approach that, that, that is very old school. So just, you know, the, the closer you can become, if we remember that funnel of relationships that I talked about, the closer you can become to the people that like, know, and trust your business the most, i.e. your, your customers or your employees. And in, in this case of obviously um, BHHS, our, our, our agents and brokers, um, that's going to give you the, the biggest bang for your, for your marketing buck. Uh, I believe in influencer marketing is really tapping into your internal, external influencers that like, know, and trust you rather than people that just have a lot of followers.
Yeah, yeah, makes sense. That's great. And so I, I would deduce from all of your great comments that consumers are more effectively influenced by people than by companies. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. People, you know, social media was made for people, not for businesses, say this a lot. And yeah, um, you know, YouTube podcasts, it's dominated by people, right? When yeah. we do a search, uh, you know, on, on Google, we tend to see company results. Companies could have become YouTubers. They could have become Instagrammers and TikTokers. They could have be, I mean, they have the money, they, ha they have the assets, um, they have the people to do it but they didn't right now. Did they try? Yeah. I don't know, but yes, we, we resonate with people that are like us. And in the old days, when the only thing we saw on, you know, on, on, on video screens was were TV stars and movie stars and, and TV ads. It's one thing, but now we see our friends, we see people. And when we see like a brand advertisement, it's just so it's, it's not authentic. It looks out of place almost. Right. So, yeah. so yes, people, you know, from, from an emotional and, if we had a neuropsychologist here, he could, you know, he or she would say that obviously we resonate more with people. We resonate more with people's photos than with brand logos, right? We resonate yeah. more with actual words that sound like something we may speak than with marketing speak coming out of businesses. Yeah, I love it. And so relative to the journey of, you know, establishing, you know, likability and trust and influence as a real estate professional, versus what you see amongst influencers in other industries. How do you imagine that journey? Uh, if someone were to be starting, uh, you know, from not from scratch, because I don't think any of us are at a, at a, at a point zero uh, in terms of our, our existing, you know, social networks. But, you know, how, how, but how do you imagine that, you know, that, that, that maturation process amongst real estate professionals? I like to keep it as simple as possible. And I think a really simple way of looking at it is the good agents that I've met um, or most agents that I've met are extremely social. They're really good at conversation. They're, uh, they know a lot of information about my community and obviously about real estate. Um, and some of them are generally really, really interesting, entertaining people, right? Uh, some, some of the best out there. So when you look at it that way, why can't they translate that online? If they can translate those offline skills online, I think they're gonna, they're number one, gonna make a lot of friends. Number two, they'll be able to share a lot of information to help them become more influential. And number three, I, I do think it will lead to a broadening of the people who at least know them, right? But that know, like, and trust. So I think it's, it's really, you know, when we do a reset on our social media, it's understanding this that, we're not just going to randomly, and we all fall, you know, victim to this is an amazing, you know, breakfast I had or dinner, you know, we all fall victim to doing stuff like that. But it's really just remembering that now you're not just serving your close friends, but you're trying to serve a broader community that include potential buyers and really rethinking about the content that you post and, and starting to think a little bit more strategically about that content. It's obviously that first step. And if yeah. you want to get deeper into your community, you know, I, I lived in a, a community near Irvine where there was literally a van with a realtor's name that would be parked outside of the elementary school that everybody had to pass by every day twice to get in and out of the elementary school to, to you know, drop off and pick up their kid. So that is being seen every, you know, it, it's being seen so many times in a strategic area. And I sort of think of publishing on social media and commenting on other people's posts 
is something that that's very similar. You, you want to be seen and you want to be seen talking about things that are going to resonate with your community, which often is about the community, right? Uh, you know, that, that restaurant, the new restaurant that opened up or the new ballet school. I mean, I, I don't know. There's obviously a lot of things that, that you can talk about, but it's, it's just staying out there. So you become that van that that people pass by. Uh, this time it's not physically, but it's virtually in, in a feed in social media. But you also have the ability to be proactive and show up in other people's feeds as well as, as you comment and what have you. So it's you know it, it's a few step process, but it's obviously resyncing your your strategic objective with your content and your branding things we talked about earlier, um, and and then it's really the 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 execution of that. And moving on to more of these collaborations and partnerships with people in your community that I think can drive that even further. Yeah, I love that. This has been um, so insightful and, and uh, directing uh, in terms of you know, some of these best practices. So thank you so much for your willingness to share. And uh, just a couple of final questions. And the first would be, and you mentioned this earlier on, is what do you believe are some of the most critical activities or uh, areas of focus for establishing influence offline so that there's some symmetry between what's happening in an agent's business uh, online. What are your thoughts there? If, you know, yielding influence online is all about showing up and being out there, I think the same goes for offline. Uh, community events, it's, it's being there. Um, you know, when that new restaurant opens up, you're, you know, you're in line along with everybody else, you know, like once again, think of your target market, your target audience, where would they be if they wanted to experience the best of where you live in, in terms of offline activities. And I think you get the picture of those things that even if you may not see other people that, you know, there, if, if you do the, the wonderful thing, you know, we call this O2O online to offline, right? when you have an online relationship and then you meet someone in, in this virtual relationship physically, it only brings that relationship forward two, three, four X. I'll yeah. never forget walking into Legoland with my family a few years ago and someone coming up to me saying, are you Neil Schaefer? You know, I read your book. I follow you online. Just this random thing. But now I remember who that person is and it obviously helped bring our relationship that much deeper because of that. So in a similar way, you, if you, if you are able to see people, that follow you that you know from being active in the community when you join these events or when you show up offline that's great but even not that content the photos you take are going to be great for your online so either way you're going to get a benefit of doing it but yeah you need to be active and i think you know this is i i think agents in general are probably more successful at, at the offline you know the chamber of commerce meetings the the breakfast lunch and learns uh you know the community events I think other things they could be doing is, you know, maybe aligning themselves with schools, for instance. Um, I was on the committee for my son's uh, uh, PTA committee for my son's elementary school, right? Um, these are really easy ways to build more influence in your community. Uh, I also was on the, uh, the marketing committee for the United Way of Orange County for a year, where I got to engage with other business leaders uh, from my community. So nonprofits, schools, uh, you know, I, I would align with at least if, if your kids are in school, that that's really easy. But um, a nonprofit, I think, is another way to really get invested in your community 
it gives you the excuse to show up more offline. And obviously you're, you want to do it because you want to serve. You're not doing this to leverage it for influence, but as a byproduct, it, it does help you be seen by more people and more interesting things to talk about in your social media feed. So if you, if you think you're running out of ideas, all these experiences will give you a lot of good things to share and attract the right people with. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, in closing, I mean, you shared so many actionable insights, um, but in closing, anything else that uh, you want to share, any words of wisdom or uh, inspiration? Um, no, I, I think, you know, working with, you know, you and your team, it, it, I, I think really it's just, you know, people that become agents probably have a certain personality. They're probably more outgoing, I would assume that that's sort of part of the job is that they have to meet people. So it's really taking who they are offline and putting it online. And I think if they can do that, they're already going to be ahead of the game and doing it not in an artificial way. We're going to be creating, you know, training and best practices, but it's really being who they are, being true to themselves. Because at the end of the day, people are going to do business, not with a photo on Instagram, but with you as a person. So you need to be the same online that you are offline. You ever get, you know, you meet those people, you see them online, you meet them offline. It's like, wait, they're totally different. You don't want to become that person. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's not a lot of rocket science. It takes, it takes an initial part of education and it takes consistency and really stay in the course, but you know, just being yourself and showing up online, it's, it's, it's not hard to do it. You need to build a new habit. Just like when you started exercising an hour a day, you need to build that five, 10, 15 minutes a day to just, you know, monitor your social media, what have you. But I think once you get into the habit, it becomes very natural. And I think it, it becomes over time in this industry, it should become part of a very natural way of doing business in a post-pandemic economy. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with that note. I love it. I love it. Well, that's great, Neil. Thanks so much again for, uh, for your time and, and your insights. And I know that our uh, audience will, will really take a lot from it. So thank you for that. Oh, no worries. Thank you. Thank you.